What's up, guys? It's Matt. On this week's episode of the TKW Podcast, I talk to our new addition, Jonathan Macri, our new writer who has already put out a few nice pieces for us and has some great content to look forward to. We talk about some potential prospects that the Knicks could be interested in, including both Bridges, Colin Sexton, Trey Young. We dive deep, think about who we would like best on the team and how the team should view their prospect pool moving forward. Without further ado, let's go. Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I am joined today by our new addition, Jonathan Macri, new writer. Been a great outpouring of support for you thus far. Jonathan, how's it been to be on board so far? Uh, Matt, it's uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, I got to say, it's been great. It's, um, you know, I've been uh, a pretty active presence on Nick's Twitter for a while now. And I've always admired you guys because you put out good stuff. And uh, now to to join up with the the big team here, it's uh, it's kind of intimidating. I gotta say, you got a lot of talented people over there. And um, you know, it's like when you're a Nick fan, do you ever know that your opinions aren't just like utter nonsense because the team is so terrible? Um, but it seems like there seems to be like a general consensus now at this point, at least that things are headed in the right direction. But that being said, a lot of that's going to depend on this draft pick, which is why I'm excited for this conversation. today. Yes. So that's the conversation we are going to hit today. Talk about some of the guys that we project the Knicks might be interested in that first round. Um, they'll likely be around that number nine pick. I wrote a column today on the Knicks wall about, what we should look for for other teams. But with the Knicks winning two games in a row, it's looking more and more like that nine slot is going to be where they end up. So Jonathan and I are going to take a look at all these guys, go through, give some thoughts on them. You know, if you guys haven't been following along, we did some Saturday coverage. I've done some stuff on my own personal account. I know Jonathan's had plenty of conversations with other people too about what we, uh, what we can look for for some of these prospects. But we just want to give a brief overview on these guys. Talk about some fit concerns that we may have or fit you know some positives that we like from these guys when it comes to the Knicks roster and go from there so first of all Jonathan did you watch a lot of the tournament this weekend yeah I watched a fair amount of it um not as much as I would have liked to because I try to try to even during the meaningless games of of this time of the year um keep you know my eye on the NBA action if you could call it that um (laughs) that's fair that's very fair (laughs) But I tried to catch all the games with guys that at least the Knicks are are figured to be in in contention for at where they're going to draft. So, um, you know, I mean, I thought it was an okay first weekend. I mean, the first weekend's always pretty exciting. Obviously, you got the 16 being the one mm-hmm. that was like a once in a lifetime oh, yeah. thing. It was incredible. It was so cool, um, and the fact that it was a blowout and it wasn't even a close game. Yep. But you know, I mean. I'm trying to think of like where that upset ranks in like the grand scheme of college basketball because it's like you know you go back I mean, through history. Yeah, because you, like, you got you know Nova over Georgetown, exactly. That's the one that people always go back to. NC State over Houston. It, it's gonna yeah. those games were bigger because they were you know championships and this was a first round. But still yeah, and it's amazing. like it's, it's UVA. Yeah. UVA is good, and yeah. you know, but it's it's UVA. It's not like if UNC was a number one seed or Duke was a number right. one seed or something, right. they got upset. Yep. Um, but it was cool. I enjoyed the action. Um, I thought largely in terms of like from an NBA prospect point of view, the guys that I saw, um, I don't think anything changed my thinking about how those guys project at the next level, at least not from what I thought going into the first weekend of the tournament. Um, so I guess that was a little reassuring. Um, but overall, you know, I'm excited to see what, what happens going forward, you know, with some of the matchups moving forward from here. Yeah, and, you know, we had some guys knocked out that we had been looking at. It was it was funny because you got the Kentucky guys who it wasn't really going to be that much of a sure thing they were making it through because everyone was talking about how touch their, tough their matchups were because they would have had to go through Arizona and then Virginia. But obviously that didn't come to fruition. But one of the upsets 
that happened on Sunday, which is where we're going to start, was Michigan State losing to Syracuse. So one of the guys which I think that, was probably, by the way, my favorite game of the tournament that yes. I've seen so far. So my roommate is a bonkers Syracuse fan, like just incredibly huge, like his favorite team since he was a kid. So watching the games with him is like an otherworldly experience because every possession is the biggest thing in the world that's happening at that moment. And it's, it's hysterical. So I was really happy for him. Um, so yeah, so Miles Bridges struggled specifically against the Q zone, which a lot of guys do, especially forwards in his ilk, because they can match up well defensively and that zone really eats guys up. So he was four of 18 from the floor. He was three of 12 from three. Um, he, he just, he couldn't seem to quite get a rhythm going. And specifically, I think the thing that I noticed, which didn't make me that nervous was that I think he missed like four or five wide open threes that he's usually knocking down because he's a good three point shooter. He's about 37% on, you know, five attempts per game for Michigan state. So what did you see from him specifically in that game? Or, you know, if you want to talk about the Bucknell game too, a game in which he did look incredible and he was very yeah good i mean game. he had uh what do you have like 29 points yeah, in the Buffalo 29. Game. I'm, yeah. I'm not putting too much stock into that um here's the thing i think you know anytime um you got somebody a prospect playing a syracuse um in college you know syracuse just they do what they do on defense so well mm-hmm. and i know you know he had like you said a handful of open shots that he missed but i think they contested a lot of his looks just enough to make him a little bit uncomfortable um and you know looking at him from a perspective of like okay should this matter to us going to the next level i think if he well let me put it this way if it was his brother i'd be a lot more concerned because and we'll get to his brother um later i'm sure but Miles, I mean, I don't know how anybody else feels. I think he profiles as someone who is going to be like a small ball four at the next level. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, the way the NBA is going today it, to say that, you know, if there's any position on the floor that you don't need elite shooting from is kind of ridiculous. That being said, um, he's going to be a guy who, especially if he gets drafted by the Knicks and eventually plays alongside Chris Dobbs, um, those looks that he's going to get, I think are going to be pretty open. Um, So I'm, you know, and you look at his numbers from this year, only 36, we said 37, little, little under 37% of the year, but on, you know, nearly six attempts a game. The thing that I'm encouraged with, with him is he was an 85% free throw shooter on the year. And Mm -hmm. there's that great adage that, you know, and it's been proven out, I think over time that if a guy could shoot free throws well in college, he's, that's the biggest indicator of him being able to shoot at the pros, not necessarily his shooting in college. Um, so I like that, you know, I, I, am not going to put too much stock in this game. He had that one really nice baseline dunk. Um, that was very cool. Um, I, I think he's solid. I think I tweeted it out to somebody over the weekend and I don't know if this is a a compliment or a, a knock on him. I think the distance between his floor and his ceiling is that distance is shorter than just about any other prospect in this lottery because I, I can't fathom him not succeeding at the next level, but I also don't think he's ever going to be like a multi-time all-star. Yeah, and I think that a thing that people bring up a lot too when we're evaluating him as a prospect is that Michigan State has a really strange roster where they play they Jaron Jackson, and then they also have Nick Ward and Gavin Schilling that are eating up minutes at the five. So you have Bridges. Totally. They try to shoehorn him in at the three, and it just doesn't make a ton of sense for his skill set. And I think he shoots, like to shoot six threes a game, for him, always seemed a little much, even though he was a good shooter. And totally. I think to, to bring it back um, to just like a general strength and weakness, and you mentioned his free throw shooting, which I think it's important to note that as a freshman, he was significantly worse. And that's something yes. he improved on immensely in his sophomore season. So that's something to look forward to and say, oh, look how much better he got. And the three-point attempts were great. He's a very good mid-range scorer. It's... I, one of the biggest downsides for me when I watch him is sometimes I watch him and I'm like, he's literally mellow because he goes into <laughs> oh, this mid-range. I know. Why would I, you I have be, to say that? <laughs> I'm sorry. On this podcast. Hey, listen, I'm just telling you what I see. You watch Ugh. and he just, he gets like in this mid-range mindset and I, I look and I'm like, get to the hoop. Look how strong you are. Look how big you are. And it's because he doesn't have a great handle. It's one of the things he struggles with. So he can't 
pull that many off the dribble moves to get to the hoop, which, you know, if he's going to be playing the four in the NBA, it's not something he would have to do necessarily as often, but it's still an important skill to have. It is. And I, you know, I mean, I, he went to the same school as, as Draymond Green and they both kind of, you know, like the same size, same build profile. He's not Draymond because Draymond can almost kind of be a point guard on the floor in yeah. his own weird yeah, I way. I think that's a lazy comp when people make that. I think it's one it of those is. just like school to school. It just doesn't make a ton of sense in my eyes. No. Um, you know, so the handles to me, like, so what I'm looking at when I'm when I'm thinking about, you know, like you made the, the mellow comparison. And, and I get that. But if you look at what he's being asked to do in college, obviously it's more than he's going to be asked to do in the pros. Now – that's a knock on him for a lot of people because a lot of people, if you're drafting eighth or ninth in the draft, you want a guy who's going to be able to create separation, be able to get his own shot when you need. And right there, that's the, I guess in a way it's the biggest knock on him. But at the same time for me, it's not really that huge of a deal because if you know what you're getting going into picking this kid, um, someone that's going to be able to defend across several positions well on the defensive end and on offense kind of, you know, crash the glass, hit open threes. Occasionally, maybe you dump the ball into him at the end of a, a, a shot clock, but like you're not drafting him to be your first or second offensive option. At least I don't think that's, that's, mm-hmm. no, that's I'd my agree with you there. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, his struggles doing some of the things that like your elite, like ISO scores do at the next level. That's not a concern of mine, but again, that all has to do with my mindset about what he is and and what he's not going to be at the next level. Yeah, and I, I think the we get a little caught up sometimes in his highlight reel dunks, which are incredible. Like he is a great athlete that can do oh, things, totally. and you know he's plays above the rim. I do think he's a better passer than people give him credit for, and I think it's something he can play within an offense very well. So to your point, I I agree 100% because I think if you have him as, you know, a spot-up shooter, a guy that cuts, can finish around the rim, and also can, you know, help push an offense forward. He can be the type of guy that can find your open shooters. He's not specifically great at, you know, a a drive-and-kick type of game, but that's not, again, not what he would really be asked to do. I just, I like his role within an offense. It's his shot selection, to me, is where I lose him a lot. And I watched Michigan State a decent bit just because they also had Jaron Jackson, who is a guy I wanted to watch, too, just to, to get a general outlook on all these prospects. And it's something that always caught my eye with him was his his shot selection just bothered me a lot, which might not matter when it gets to the NBA because you might have you have better coaches. I, didn't, I don't think Izzo did a good job with this year's Michigan State team at all, so that might change. You know, and if it, if it was a player who you thought like wasn't a smart player it to me the shot selection thing would be or maybe not smart's the wrong word mm-hmm. if it was a player who you thought was not self-aware but for, and again i don't obviously none of us know the kid but <laughs> my best the, friend miles bridges yeah there you go <laughs> um yeah, he's coming over to my house tomorrow for, for dinner <laughs> um he he seems like a guy who who kind of gets it um and uh, again at the net like okay so you're talking about a guy, and again, not to compare the, the players, but like Dennis Smith Jr. coming out last year. That's a guy that you watched in college and you're like, oh, crap. He might take a lot of bad shots in the pros that might hurt his team. And yeah. sure enough, he's done a lot of that. Yep. I think he'll be fine, but for the interim. Miles Bridges, he's doing what he's doing because he's very clearly the first offensive option on this team. Um, and again, at the next level... I, I trust that in the right system and with the right coach and with the right support staff, which, you know, the Knicks are talking up their, their player development now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll believe it when we see it. But yeah, that's what I was going to say. Maybe when it's deserved, we'll be like, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Well, <laughs> listen, Craig Robinson's talking up, oh, it's a lot of work in the offseason. So, yeah. well, <laughs> At least we off-season's... got Obama's pity because of that. That's all we need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the offseason's going to be here soon enough, so you can show everybody what you're talking about. But, um, yeah, I think – I think in the right situation, like Miles Bridges is going to be a guy, and, and I'm I might repeat this again during this podcast, and I'm going to steal this. This is something Bill Simmons has been saying for years, and mm-hmm. he's he's right about some things. Um, oh, and I'm I a big Bill Simmons fan. You don't need to 
you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to hype him up too much here. You couldn't hype him up enough for the, me. The other guys, of, you could hype him up too much. There's a lot of haters out there. Yeah, so no, I, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, he says, I want a guy who I know is going to be able to play 35 minutes in Game 7 of a Finals or yeah. Game 7 of a Conference Finals. For sure. And, you know, if Miles Bridges is your best guy or your second best guy, you're not getting to any Game 7s of any, mm-hmm. anything. Um, but if he is a guy that you have on your team, you're going to want him on the floor for a lot of those minutes because he's he doesn't take anything off the table and he's going to be at least average at everything and probably above average at several things. Absolutely. So and, I'm, yep. I'm all aboard. Last thing before we move on to our next prospect, and it goes right in line with your Game 7 thing, he also is very vocal on the floor, and you know when he's dunking, he's yelling, and it, it was he hit a game-winner you know, against Purdue, and he was all over the place. He had a great game at MSG. You know, those are the kind of things that people are going to watch him. That's the first thing you notice with him. Like, he's screaming. He's yelling on the court. He's really vocal with his teammates, and that's something that people always love. You know, people always gravitate towards those type of guys because they're fun. And when it comes down to it, when we watch basketball, we want to have fun guys on the team that are fun to root for that have a good time out there. And also, not for nothing, the Knicks kind of need that guy. because That's something Porzingis has admitted. He's not, you know, this big, yell, like, braggadocious vocal leader. Yeah, and that's that's fine. Not everybody is, and sure, Frank Delkina. I'm I'm president of the Frank fan club, but that, <laughs> I, I I don't think he's ever going to be that either. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a nice little bonus, and and again, we'll talk about some other guys in this podcast. I'm not I'm not sure if he'd be Miles is my first choice for if we get to that spot, but he's definitely someone that if we ended up with uh, whatever it is three months and change from now, yep. I, I would not be disappointed. Okay, so our next prospect to look at is probably the most polarizing prospect in the entire draft. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. Just a little polarizing. (laughs) A guy that has been as high as number one and as low as out of the lottery thanks to his team's ups and downs this year is Trey Young. So, played on an Oklahoma team that had no one around him. Had a severe lack of shooting, lack of scoring besides him. So he was relied on to do so much. He led the nation in scoring and assists, which had never be- happened before. Yeah. He was... And also, if I could throw in, of course. he's only the, the third um, freshman ever to lead the nation in assists, the other two um, being last year with Alonzo uh, Ball, and then um, TJ Ford, once upon a time at oh Texas, yeah. who... You know, I mean, say what you want about about TJ. Obviously, he didn't have the NBA career that a lot of people hope, but I, I don't. I think that was more because of injury than anything else. Yes, I agree. Um, that guy was a stud prospect. So again, to do what he did as a freshman is is not insignificant. Yeah, and can't be undersold when we're considering no. him for the future. So for the Knicks specifically, because I think we basically the here's the debate on Trey Young. It's He's great on offense. He's a, a lightning rod of energy. He can shoot off the dribble. He does so many things around the rim. He's not a great at-the-rim finisher, but he's he's frisky. He can do a lot of different things, and you watch. And he's finishing with his left, with his right. He gets to the free throw line a ton, which is a, a great sign for his future because some of these guys that come out that are just shooters, they never get to the line. So seeing him do that is... It's a it's a good sign for his future, basically. He's so, uh, out of all of the NCAA uh, Division One players, he is fourth um, in all of them uh, in free throw attempts per game. He had eight point five six free throw attempts per game, season, and that's a ton. Outstanding. That's a ton of free throws. So and he shot them well, obviously too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would hope so. It's funny because when he got when he got cold and Oklahoma started playing poorly, his percentages just dipped to the point where at the end of the year, he was 42 from the field and 36 from three. And it yeah. felt like you were looking at his stats all year. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy is just putting up incredible numbers. And then at the end, I was like, you know, they're, they're really good, but they don't look as good as, as I thought they would. So what are your thoughts on Trey Young? Uh, so let me start here on, on Trey Young. I think if they do their evaluation of him, and they think that he is I, – I, I'm not 
going to say Steph Curry because it's ridiculous and there's been one Steph yeah. Curry in the history I mean, of basketball. This game is reminiscent of that, and that's why it's an easy comparison to make because he does things that remind us of Steph. But, yeah, again, but probably it's, a lazy comparison when it comes it to It is, and even, even to call him Dame Lillard, who might beat out Steph for first-team All-NBA oh, yeah. uh, this season. Definitely is, within the realm. Yeah, I mean, but if, if they think that he is a player that on a real offense, which obviously Oklahoma – did not have this year mm-hmm. can have that type of effect on a D de- because you look at the NBA today and it's again, there's, you look at two things. What does the player take off the table? And then on the other side, do they do anything that's elite? And it, to me, the most important, the most impressive, however you want to say it, elite skill you could have is those guards who can, basically do what Steph Curry and Dame Lillard do, which is mm. single-handedly bend the defense and make a an opposing team change its entire game plan. No doubt about it. If they do their evaluation and they think that he, there's a decent chance that he could be that player, to me, that's, that's the end of the discussion. Um, because you could work around everything else. Um, you know, and when I say that type of player, it sounds simplistic, but there's a lot that goes into the, the phrase that type of player. Obviously, there's the shooting. Obviously, there's the handle. I'm pretty sure we could say Trey Young has both of those down. Yes. Um, and then you go, okay, well, does he have the passing ability? I think you could argue that he was one of the best passers in college basketball this year. Um, to agree. Yeah. So if you have those three things covered. You know, and then obviously there's going to be people that are going to nitpick about the shooting numbers. Look, he shot 10 three-pointers a game on a team that had – that starting in the middle of the year, every team that played them, all his, they wanted to do was stop him. His stats are ridiculous. Like just the, the usage rate. I think I looked at the usage rate for him. It was like crazy high. Usage hasn't been recorded that long for college basketball, but there had only been like 10 guys since 2008 since that had such a high usage rate. And this is a freshman. It's ridiculous. And I also, you know, people are going to look at the the three-point shooting percentage that he um, ended the year with, 36%. Mm-hmm. James Harden is a 36% three-point shooter in the pros. The reason why nobody ever really, you know, it's, a, it's seen as a good thing for James Harden is because he puts up 10 threes a game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you have to look at everything that he's done this year under the the – prism of he was the only thing going for that offense and he just hoisted so many shots that he probably had no business hoisting and that's the weird thing that i've been seeing lately on twitter is like oh my god that's the last thing that we need is a guy who's just chucking it from everywhere and and has no you know recognition for his teammates or this and that and i want to be like what are you watching because there's (laughs) he he had no choice but to do that um, I mean, he's not a he's not a wizard. He can't create a sixth teammate on the floor to help you know take off some of the burden of him. So that's kind of where I'm at with, with Trey Young. Um, all that being said, am I in love with him as a prospect? No. I mean, I, I think you're probably a little bit more generous with, with, than I am. With uh, you think he's all right finishing around the rim? I think that's going to be a struggle for him in the pros. Mm-hmm. Um, I just given his size. Um, I mean, I know he's 6'2", 180. I think both of those numbers are probably a little bit generous. Yes. Um, I, I think he's he's going to struggle to finish around the rim, and I think that's an it's a part of Steph's game, especially um, that we forget about sometimes. That you know, if it wasn't for for his ability to hit those magical shots around the rim, all the stuff that he does out on the perimeter wouldn't be nearly as effective. Mm-hmm. Um, because teams have to respect his drive. I, you know, I don't love Trey Young's first step. I think that's also going to hurt him. Yep. Um, and then there's the other end of the court, which, you know, and this is where we kind of get into, um, you know, Scott Perry's team building philosophy. He seems to want elite athletes, um, and guys that, I mean, obviously they've talked up defense all year, despite the fact that they're, you know, last in defense since KP went down. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're obviously trying to change that. So do you draft a guy who, you know, at his absolute best, if he hits a hundred percent, on the offense that you think he's going to bring, you know is going to be a liability on defense. Yeah, It's a tough question. And it's something that we saw Oklahoma have to deal with because Lon Kruger would basically put him in a corner and say, 
okay, just cover whoever doesn't have the ball. Try to stay yeah. off the ball as much as you can. And if they run you through a, through a pick and roll, switch on to a guard and don't ever get switched on big man. They had to do so much on defense to hide him, and that's going to be even more pronounced in the NBA when he's thrown into these defenses that are so much more nuanced. And I think it's something that we'll use, and I, I just, I'm curious what you think, because I don't know if I buy this, that just because Frank is a good defender and would play at the two, you know, whatever you want to call these guys, because I think it, putting a, slapping a uh, number on him doesn't make any sense. I'm I'm right there with you. It's, yeah. Forget, it, use, let's, can we all just use, agree to use the Brad Stevens designations? Yeah. You're a wing, you're a ball handler, or you're a big. That's They're it. There's no, more. yeah, there's no one through five anymore. So, do you think that it may, almost makes a built-in excuse to have Trey Young be an okay guy for the Knicks to draft because they already have another guard that's a good defender? Uh, I don't, um, and, and here's why. I think in the NBA, teams are, even the bad teams, are smarter than ever, um, and we see it in the playoffs every year. They're going to go after your weakest link on the court. I mean— we're only two years removed from seeing a 73-win Warrior team go down in the finals. And, you know, you could say whatever you want about, like, Draymond got suspended, this and that. Steph Curry got worn down in that series because Cleveland put him in high pick and holes against Ryan, LeBron James. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Literally every game. Yeah. Um, and he got tired. And he's, you know, maybe the best player in the league or one of the top three players in the league. Um and they went after him. Isaiah Thomas, you know, I, I mean, it was amazing to see what he did last year. But, like, you saw what teams did to him in the playoffs. Um, and he didn't hold up. So, to me, it's like, it, you, it's, you could survive in the NBA if you have one really weak defender. Because, you know, it's just, if there's a smart, you know, coach on offense, game planning around, you know, exploiting that defender, there's coaching on the other end that's going to try to make up for it. Mm-hmm. But to me, just because Frank's on the court doesn't doesn't excuse that aspect of, of Trey Young's game. Um, you know, but it, and it, again, it goes back to the first thing I said. Even if you are acknowledging that he's going to be that bad on D, if you think he's that transcendent offensive player, I'm I'm not sure it matters. Right. And it's a lot to ask for a coaching staff, too, which oh, is it's, something it's to consider dreamy. when you're drafting him also. And. Last thing I want to say about Trey Young before we get to another point guard prospect. I usually don't subscribe to a lot of the narratives, you know, whatever. College basketball is so driven by narratives. But I will say, when Trey Young was playing well and ESPN installed the Trey Young tracker where you'd watch a game with Oklahoma and it would have his stats on the screen all the time. Totally. As soon as they started doing that, he started playing worse. And it almost felt like that attention was a lot for him. And it makes me worried about him being drafted as a top 10 pick coming into New York. And Knicks fans would undoubtedly have these really high expectations for him. That side of it does make me a little worried. And I don't know if it's warranted, but it just, I, I can't get it out of my head. Yeah, I, I can't either. And, and I've thought that too. Um, you know, and that's where it, it, it the, and you look specifically about at next year's team, they're obviously not going to be very good, um, especially until KP comes back. Um, you know, I'm worried that, you know, if we had a great coach in place that we knew was going to be able to, let's say Trey Young ended up on the Knicks and, and he's playing with Frank Nilakina, you know, be able to craft an offense to utilize both of their skill sets. Um, and it's a seamless fit, and Trey Young doesn't feel like he has to go out there and put the ball up um, 20 times a night, I'd feel a lot better about it. But I just – we don't have that coach in place right now. Hopefully – or I don't know what your feelings on Hornacek are. I, 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 I think, think he's a, a perfectly fine coach. I don't think he's one of the worst in the league, and I certainly don't think he's one of the best. I just think he's fine. So I don't want to put any faith in him, but I also totally. don't think he's like – made the team that much worse like a lot of people like to say i don't really buy that i'm 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 with you i don't put the blame uh, of this season on him at all because the team was supposed to win 29 games and guess what they're on pace to win 29 games but i agree with you he's not the coach i would trust to to make that work with young next year and just like all the attention would be on him from his first game i i I don't put it this way 
I, it's a tiebreaker at the very least if you're looking at him and you're really not sure. Um, I don't think you can ignore it by any stretch. Yeah, and I'm excited to have these discussions because he's such a polarizing guy, and I've already had some of these, and he's people either love him and don't understand why anyone wouldn't want him because he's the next F, or they hate him and don't understand why anyone would want him because he can't play defense and he's so overrated because he shot badly. It's just you get every side of the spectrum. It is incredible. And we have three more months of this to go. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. Dude, it's the best. Yeah, just keep awesome. it going. I, honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm just regurgitating the same things. When we, Since we kind of started doing this in January, some people ask me, like, hey, what do you think of Miles Bridges? And I'm like, good shooter, can dunk, can play defense, <laughs> <laughs> struggles on the dribble. It's like... It, it's, you kind of got to commit it to memory at this point. Exactly. I was like, just put it right in there, and I just regurgitate it every time. Okay, so the next prospect that I want to look at is Alabama's point guard, Colin Sexton, who had an incredible run through the SEC tournament and into the NCAA tournament, had a big win over Virginia Tech, and then ended up losing to the the buzzsaw that is the Villanova Wildcats this year. Yes. So general thoughts on Sexton, and I think at the end of this, since this is the last big point guard we'll cover, we can kind of hit on just how we feel about the Knicks bringing in a point guard in general. Sure. Um you know, I think people are really in love with the idea of Colin Sexton. Um, I mean, if anybody's listening, you know, doesn't know, um, there was a game earlier this season where, due to some odd circumstances, um, several of his teammates were uh, ejected from the game, yep. and he had to play, along with two of his teammates, three on five for a large portion of the second half of the game. Um, and he almost single-handedly, you know, uh, had his team, you know, win that game. It was awesome. It was. It was awesome the coolest. Yeah. It was the coolest thing to see in in college basketball this year. There's no way around it. And the yeah. guy, you know, he's competitive as hell. All that being said, you know, in terms of what you need point guards to do at the next level, um, I don't know that there's anything that he does that I'm going to say, oh. Yes, that is going to translate 1,000% at the next level. Because, you know, you can say, all right, his shot is probably going to come around. He was one for five. And this is is the type of thing where, you know, we don't like to put a lot of stock in in tournament games, and and that's fine. But he was, you know, in a tight Virginia Tech game. He took five threes. He made one. Against Villanova, he took one three pointer. One mm-hmm. three point attempt, and he he didn't make it for the it year. He didn't do a ton all year. He started to come on in the SEC tournament. He was knocking down step back threes all over the place. But it's yeah, not he a went, skill we should rely on him to have as soon as he comes into the NBA. He went six for eight uh, in the Auburn game. That was yes. you know that was nice. Um, Auburn's also terrible. Um, <laughs> terrible that, loss in the tournament. Oh my god. Oh uh, yeah, no totally. <laughs> um, but you know he's a guy that took four threes a game this year, and he shot thirty three percent. Is it? Whether he develops the three to the point that he could be respectable, um, that's one thing. Is his three ever going to be a weapon at the next level? No. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, with Frank, I think he's going to turn into a a nice three-point shooter. Is he ever going to bend a defense with his three-point shooting? No, probably. That's not going to happen. So I think the same thing about Colin Sexton. You look at the other things, um, I don't think he's a particularly gifted passer. Um, he has a nice first step. It's it's uh you know he, he definitely gets to the rim. He gets to the line a lot. He was uh tenth in the nation in free throw attempts a game. Seven point six. A lot of bunch too. Yeah. Yeah, and he's going to attack the rim, and I, and I, I love that. So I guess if there's any skill he brings to the table that's close to elite, it's it's that. Yeah. But sure. at the same at the same time, he's not Dennis Smith Jr. or Russell Westbrook or you know like a young Derrick Rose or something. He, he's not someone that is going to be able to attack the rim in that fashion he could get there he'll draw some fouls he could finish you know a fair amount um but he's not like an above the rim type of athlete right so you know and then on the other end of the court i, I obviously he's a, he's a good defender but it's not like he's six three you know he's a he's a point guard that is going to be able to defend other point guards um you know but he's not like one of these big like he's not like Frank. Frank's Frank's a different animal. He could defend across three positions. Ideally, if I were bringing in a guard um, with Colin Sexton's offensive profile, I would want his defensive profile to be even a little bit higher than it is. 
Mm. Um, so I'm not, I guess the short answer is I'm not totally in love with Sexton as some other people are. Yeah, I, I think your first point is the one I want to go back to because it's the one that I agree with the most is that people like the idea of Sexton more than they should yeah. and more than reality has portrayed because he's another guy. Alabama is a very strange team because they were they had a stretch where they were just terrible and yeah. then all of a sudden they come on really strong in the SEC tournament, big win in, in the NCAA tournament, but they had no shooting around him at all. So totally. it was to the point where teams would just pack the paint, and that's a big reason why he got to the line a ton is because he's really good at attacking his defenders off the dribble and getting into the paint and getting fouled. But it also goes right into something you also mentioned, which is that he's not a great passer, which, and this is why it's so hard to evaluate college prospects. In the NBA, wherever Sexton plays, even if it's with the Knicks and they draft him, the Knicks will immediately have a ton more shooting than Alabama did. So I know where you're going with this. The and I, for him I agree where He can you. start to become a better passer, and things open up where he's such a good athlete that he can get to the rim, and all of a sudden he's able to see these things that he just simply hadn't been able to see because Alabama didn't have the means to open up those opportunities for him. So it's something to, to consider, and it's why evaluating prospects is so damn difficult. It is, and like, you know... Um... Uh, Jonathan Wasserman, who does great work uh, evaluating prospects, sure. he he, yeah, he um, tweeted out a few days ago um, that he was uh, a blow a- that Sexton was a below average pick and roll passer. He only mm-hmm. um, it was in the 28th percentile in terms of he had uh, 0.84 points per possession as a, a passer out of the pick and roll. And he also tweeted out something about his um, his bad assist to turnover ratio. He averaged 2.8 turnovers uh, per game just to just three point. Uh, six assists. Yeah, that great. kind of stuff to me is would not worry me as much because of the reasons you just talked about. You know, he's going to be just playing with a lot more more talent. Um, but I guess you know, again, it's a question for me of is his ability to penetrate the lane going to be enough for him to be a difference making offensive player? When granted he'll have more open space to pass in and he'll have more apt shooters to pass to in the pros. Um, but is he, is he that level of point guard where, where that's, he's going to become a weapon driving and really like, you know, making the driving kick game a thing that the Knicks could do. Right. Um, That's a, that's a valid concern for sure. And that's something that he wasn't able to do in college. So we can't just extrapolate that and say, Oh, he's going to do it in the NBA. It's just, it always seems nice to think of the upside for these guys, and that's how we like to to think about it when we're projecting ahead. Yeah, um, and hit. You know, that's it's funny. It's like him and Sexton are going to be compared to, or sorry, him and uh, Trey Young are going to be mm-hmm. compared to each other. And they're just because they're going to get drafted around the same time, and they are yeah, very different prospects, very different players. You know, and they're neither of them are are a perfect prospect, which is why when we get to the next guy, I think we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I I think. That's important because you're not, you know, again, if it was a guard who was a sure thing, that's one thing. I I, I don't think either of these guys qualifies as that. The one thing that people seem to like the most about Sexton is that he is relentless when he's on the floor. And I think that's why people like to say, oh, you know, he's like the Russell Westbrook of college because when he plays, you notice him. And he's, he's on it defensively. He's drawn charges. He plays in transition. Like he had a a play in the NCAA, or the SEC tournament, excuse me, where he just was in transition. He basically went around the back for no reason and threw it to his <laughs> teammate for a dunk, and it's one of those things where, like, I don't know why he did that, but I love that he did because it was awesome. And, and that's what people if, always go back to with him. If you're drafting him, I, I think it's – that's a – like we just said the thing with Trey Young, how he didn't do well with the attention mm-hmm. was a reason not to like Trey Young. I think if you're drafting Colin Sexton, you're drafting him maybe not in large part – because of that aspect of him, but it's definitely in your consideration, and it yes. should be. Um, and he's, and he's think, another guy that's really vocal on the court. Like you can know he's talking all the time. Avery Johnson and him were always yapping at each other. He's talking to the Hall and all the other guys they got Petty on his team, just trying to get them in the game. You know, it's something that he did a lot too. Yeah, I think it, you know as we're having this conversation, and I don't think I really have decided this, but it, if let's say the draft went a certain way and. The Knicks were essentially choosing between Trey Young and Colin Sexton. I, 
I would be inclined to go with Sexton, um, you know, despite the the offensive ceiling that that Young has, because I think for this team at this time where they're at, I think having a guy like Sexton come aboard with the mentality that he has, and as opposed, you know, to Trey Young, who we don't know how he would handle that, there is no doubt in my mind that you put Sexton in New York, he would be fine. Um, I think he would eat up this city, personally. I think it would be a good match. Yep, something that Miles Bridges also, it's a, it's a pro for him too. I know we mentioned it before about his intensity level on the court, but it's something that totally you can, you can factor in. Uh, so the last guy, then we'll get into a conversation at the end just about some general um, thoughts about position and who the Knicks should take. So the last sure. guy is Mikhail Bridges on Nova, the last guy of this crop that we uh, put a YouTube video out through TKWU before to for you guys to take a look at over the weekend. So Mikhail Bridges is a athletic wing for Nova that takes on their toughest defensive matchups night to night. He is averaging about 18 a game. He's shooting threes. He does things off the post. He is a pick-and-roll ball handler. Um, you know, he's whether him or Jalen Brunson is their best player is your prerogative. I think that they are both incredible, 1A and 1B. They do different things, but... So general feelings on on Mr. Bridges here, Jonathan. Um, you mentioned all of his stats. You didn't mention his what appears to be twelve foot wingspan, which I yes, can't get point. every every time <laughs> I see him, I can't get over that because arms just, for days I, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. Um, my general thoughts on Mikael Bridges are pretty simple. If you were going to create um, a prototypical player for the NBA in 2018, that is going to be not one of not one of your shot creators on the team, and you need multiple shot creators on the floor nowadays in the NBA. But to be that third guy to play to play the the Clay Thompson role, if you were just going to mold that person out of Clay and all of the things that come with it, you would create Mikal Bridges. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, that is like the biggest gift and the biggest curse because yep, you know sure. people, it's it's very similar it's and it's so funny that they're brothers it's similar to the conversation we were having before about miles they're, they're not actually brothers though they they're not actually they're you know, not actually brothers how i've never known that before <laughs> is beyond me that's astounding I, I i'm i'm gonna be honest i heard you say it the first time and i was waiting for when you come back around and i was gonna just like play it off like you were doing it tongue-in-cheek but this is way funnier no, no, no! I had no idea. <laughs> See, this is this is the great magic of live podcasting. Now, everybody, everybody, we're gonna know who listens to this because they're all going to mercilessly make fun of me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. I always kind of assumed that they were brothers. Oh, I understand. Um, yeah. So I think if you were gonna just like create that player, it, it would be Macal, and and that's like a downside for many people um, because he doesn't have that ceiling. I mean, I know, um, what's his name from the ringer came out. I think Charks uh, came out with a piece a few weeks ago. Yeah. Of being yeah like, Charks wrote a piece on him. Yep. Yeah. And it was like, Oh, you know, Macau could be, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard, if everything breaks light. Right. I, I don't personally see that. Cause to me, Kawhi Leonard is like the second or third best overall player in basketball when he's healthy. Yeah. It's a little um, aggressive. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think it's a little bit unfair to even say that about, about Macau. Um, but like, forget if he never turns into that, just if he is what you know, he's going to be at the next level. I mean, the guy shot 44% from three this year on six attempts a game. Yes. Um, that's nuts. His free throw shooting was 85%. So, you know, his free throw, his shooting overall is going to translate to the next level. I mean, defensively, he's going to be able to defend probably across three, maybe four positions in some scenarios. Um, you know, I don't know what else you could possibly want in a prospect in 2018. Um, so I, I'm kind of in love with the kid, and I've been like unabashed about that. But you know, I not I know not everybody feels the same way. Oh, I've been pretty unabashed about it too. I've got people. I think I had someone ask me if I was his agent last week, and I was like, "Not nah, dude, just like him. Like, relax." <laughs> uh, but like, it, do, these players. So like, I don't know how many of these guys there are in the NBA right now who you could. Like, people throw around the term, like, 3 and D wing. Like, oh, yeah, it's just yeah. a 3 and D wing. Like, you could pick these guys up off the street. Like, right. no, you can't. There's a reason that Otto Porter just got signed to a 
$25 million contract mm -hmm. to do the exact thing that Macau Bridges is going to do at the next level. Like the, these guys don't become available. The only way you get one who you know is going to be good is to draft one. Um, and then you're, they're under your control for the next nine years. And that's awesome. Um, so I, I, I don't get to hate too much. Uh, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So a lot of the things you mentioned about his offense are things that I was going to bring up too. You know, he, he does more than people give him credit for. If you just think about him on the surface and especially when you use the three and D moniker for him, which is very fitting. And we get almost get into a mindset where we don't think he scores in a variety of ways, but he was in the 88th percentile in both pick-and-roll scoring as a ball handler and in post-ups and off-screen. So he's doing so many things in a variety of ways. He has shown such progression because he was on the Villanova team that won the title over yeah. Carolina where Chris Jenkins hit the game winner, and he was like their off-the-bench defensive spark. And he's gotten so much better. He's put on 30 pounds of muscle since uh, a couple years ago. You know, he's they used to call him Noodles. And Praying yes. Mantis and all these I names. Love that. Fader on Bleach Report wrote a really good article about that. But it's it's the progression of him that you see with your eyes watching him from a couple years ago to now that's really encouraging. And to mention the downsides, because I know you and I are both like over the moon for him. So I, I think it'd be more fitting if we talk about the downsides, because that's that's where we are really gonna have to see both sides of this. So I think there's just a couple main ones. He's older because he's yeah. been in college for longer. So that's the thing that people say, you know, he's 21 or 22 already when some of these other guys are 19. And that's a drawback for some people. It's the the 3 and D thing for a lot of people says to them, why would we pick him in the top 10 if he doesn't have as much upside as these other guys? And that's where some people, you just kind of, you lose them a bit because they think of top 10 picks as we need to shoot for the stars and try to hit this one out of the park and get an all-star. But it's it's a philosophical idea that the team has and that as you as a fan have to decide what you prefer for the team. For me, the reason why I like Mikhail so much is because you have Porzingis coming back next year. The Knicks' second best player quote-unquote, and I really love this guy, but, I mean, it's Tim Hardaway Jr., and he is not yeah. exactly a model of consistency. Yeah, I know where you're and going with this. So, you throw a guy like McHale in here, and he is a guy that you lock in at small forward. He can defend. He's a, you know, he, even though he put on weight, he's still a little on the weaker side, so I don't want to throw him down there against fours or anything in the post. No, totally. But he's a guy you can lock in and worry about it later, and I think the Knicks desperately need a guy like that and that's why I like him over guys like Miles Bridges who I can see struggling for a while before he reaches certain heights Trey Young and Sexton are young point guards and young point guards take forever to get good we're going to see it with Frank but you know we'll we'll hopefully have some sort of the roster around once we expect him to to become the player we hope him to be but I just I really like the idea of getting a reliable cheap contract to get in here, lock him in, because I just don't see a scenario where Mikael Bridges isn't a useful NBA player, even if he never is an all-star, which I, I mean, I surely don't think that he'll be a multiple-time all-star or anything, but it's it's a philosophical question you have to ask yourself going into the draft, and this is the direction I think the Knicks should go, because they need some sort of stability in their franchise. It's, you know, not to sound like a you know, nerd here, but it's probability of outcomes. Um, I'm the nerdiest like, person you could get on the next wall. So you picked the right person to talk to about this. This is a match made in heaven <laughs> then. Um, <laughs> hey, like hey, the probability that he is going to be the thing that we're saying, like we're projecting him as is so high. And that player is the most valuable player other than the, what I spoke about before, other than, you know, the guard that single-handedly bends the defense. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe other than, you know, the unicorn center, which, hey, we have one of those already. Yes, we um, the, the wing that can do everything other than create his own shot out of thin air. But like to the fans who are like, oh, he, you know, he's not ever going to be the best player or even maybe the second best player on a team. Like there, there are a ton of guys in the league that could create a shot from nothing and a lot of them aren't efficient players at all. So, you know, 
you already have Porzingis. We we think that he can do like have that number one role and be good with it and be efficient with it. Um, we saw obviously glimpses of that the the first part of the year. Mm-hmm. Like you need, like you said, you need to fill in those other spots around the floor. And if you could get it, you know, from a guy who's going to be on a, a cost controlled um, contract, and like there, you know, who else is out there? When else are you going to get this player? And if you don't have one of these guys on your team, you're just like you're screwed yeah. in the NBA today. And, and these guys aren't hitting the market. And if they are, you're going to have to overpay to get them here. It's it's the way it is, you know? And and it's something that we've seen. I know you and I both encountered this when we've talked about him. People just say, oh, you know, it's like these guys grow on trees. That's just wildly inaccurate. There's all these 3 and D guys that are theoretically good, but when they get on the court, you can't throw them out there for 30 minutes and you can't rely on them. And I see Mikhail as someone that you can always rely on. And the last thing I'll I'll throw out there about Mikhail is – you know, he I know he's a junior um, and I'm obviously I'm not going to say he's going to become this player. But Clay Thompson came out after his junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Clay Thompson made uh, 98 threes his junior year at Washington State. Um, McCall has made 96 threes so far this year on a higher percentage, by the way. All of the same criticisms that you heard that you're hearing about McCall Bridges, you heard about Clay Thompson, which is one of the reasons why Clay Thompson went 11th in the draft. Absolutely. How does that look now? Um, so, you know, and, and this happens so often when guys like they go eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, whatever it is, and right after they're picked, you're like, that guy probably went too low. He's going to be a really good player. It happened with Donovan Mitchell this year. Yeah, and. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, I don't think anybody could have foreseen this level of shooting, but right. p- even putting that aside, you knew that guy was going to be good. Yep. Um, so I just like if if you're going to get the gift of of having this guy there for you and who knows if he's going to be there for them. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I think this is going to be one of those drafts where after the top two and I think. Um, Doncic and uh, and Aiton are, are kind of in a, a tier of their own. Yes, I agree. I, I think there's a very real possibility that the guy that you know a couple of players pick like 11th and 13th are going to wind up being better than players pick like third and fourth and fifth. I think that's absolutely on the table in this draft. Yeah, and it's something that happened. You know, like I just mentioned with Donovan Mitchell the past year, where people he was great in the summer league, and people were like, "How did he go after number 10?" And with this draft, you have guys that, if they put some things together, could end up being excellent in the NBA, like Kevin Knox, Shea Gilgis-Alexander's come on really strong for Kentucky. We've seen Robert Williams, who's carried the Texas A&M team to a Sweet 16, and he is just absurdly athletic. He's a load. He is yeah. He is a an absolutely athletic load. Um, right. And I'm not... I'm not as high on him as some other people because I don't know his if, skill set. I don't know yeah. if it translates. It, it's hard. You have to put him with a certain team, I think. Yeah, just because you mentioned him, I think one of the, the a guy we're not going to go in, in depth on, but Shea Gilgis Alexander, um, mm. Alexander. I think he is especially like you touched on it before. Um, the road that Kentucky now has, um, they're going to play uh, number nine seeded Kansas State team next, and then after that, they're going to get the winner of Loyola Chicago. And Nevada to yep. for the right to go to the final four. An 11-7 matchup. Yeah. Um, so I if there's if you're looking for a player that is going to shoot up into like that maybe four, five, six, seven range, I could see it being Alexander from from uh, Kentucky. Yeah. If they ever go on some run, it for sure. I've already seen him shooting up. People are talking about him. If they go on a run, they go to the final four. They make it to the championship, and he continues to play at this level. He'll start to move up. Totally. And I don't think the Knicks ever make sense for him just because I think he's like a point guard that isn't a great shooter, which we kind of already have one of those. That's yeah, coming so, into. So it, he just doesn't make a lot of sense for the Knicks specifically, which is I, why I haven't really mentioned him much. I, I think that's a, actually a good transition because, like, I, you know, uh, I never like to make any hard and fast rules about, like, what you need and, and what you have to have in the NBA uh-huh. today. But I don't. I don't see a scenario where you could be a successful NBA team and not have one of your guards be an elite, elite shooter. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I think, you know, Frank is going to get to a place where he's probably going to eventually be a 40% shooter from three. Um, he seems to like 
shooting off the dribble, but that's also because nobody's really guarding him right now. Um, but, you know, he'll be a good shooter, but is he ever going to be that elite, elite shooter that, that you want in the backcourt? No. So given what, what Shea is, and he's a lot of awesome things, and I think he's going to be really good at the next level, Yeah. Um, because he's not that, um, you know, and again, it kind of all relates together. The Knicks don't have to get that other guard in this particular draft, you good know, because they'll have another high pick next year. It's yeah. inevitable. It's it's going to happen. Um, and, you know, I know we're, we're not going through like the whole future seasons thing, but like there are other ways to acquire top talent. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's there's it, it will happen for them if they could just put the other places pieces in place. For sure. So let's talk about two things and then we'll sure. get out of here. The first I just want to, for some people maybe that are listening that haven't watched any college basketball and haven't run a ton of mocks, I just want to give, because we talked about a few guys, I want to give a general outlook on how we project the draft is going to go. So you had sure. mentioned you think Aiton Doncic are going to go one and two in some order, which I think is the general consensus. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be team dependent, depend, see you know who gets the first pick, um, yeah. but I, I'd be shocked if one of them uh dropped past second yep and then the next tier which is basically goes like up to eight i think is is how it's gonna go it's gonna be marvin bagley michael porter jr jaron jackson jr mo bamba and see carter i i would almost stop it before Carter because I could see and that's I think that's probably another topic we're gonna just touch on before we go but Mm -hmm. to me that next group is Bagley Porter Jackson and and Bamba okay Um, so if you stick it at that so that brings us to six so then we're at seven right now and you're looking at we'll throw Carter here yeah so you got Wendell Carter then you have the four that we talked about Young Sexton and both Both bridges bridges. not brothers no relation (laughs) stepbrothers bridges yes (laughs) and then you get the Gildas Alexanders, the Lonnie Walkers of the world, the Robert Williams. Um, that's kind of how it's going to play out. So the four that we brought up are in all likelihood going to be two will probably be around, maybe three, you know, depending on how Carter goes. One of these guys is going to be there when the Knicks pick. There's no doubt about it. And Carter's someone we can talk about moving forward. He's just a, he's a very different type of prospect as opposed to these guys. And yes. I think, I do think that he's going to go before nine. I'm fairly confident in that. So he's not someone I've, I've really honed in on, but that's kind of how the draft is going to shake out unless something drastic happens over the summer, you know, where one of these international guys shoots up, which I don't know if I really see that happening. I, I don't either. The only, the only big change I could see would be if, like I said, Shea has an amazing yeah, tournament. Yeah, Alexander for sure. Yeah, if he goes and shoots up, um, and Kevin Knox is a guy that's like, he he's obviously not as polished as either of the Bridges guys, um, but could a team maybe see something in him where they where they take him higher than than maybe they should? Mm-hmm. Other other than that, though, I don't I don't really see anything um, else happening that would that would affect us. As far as Knox goes, I watch and I just want him to do more because I can see the skill and he's had some crazy games this year where he just goes off and I'm just like, dude, just go out there, be aggressive and go 100% all the time. It's And we don't see it. Yeah, just, and I, it I, I, hope, I hope that that's something in the NBA he can learn because he has a lot of skill and he's a really good shooter. He's a great spot-up shooter. So let's transition that into the last point that I kind of want to talk about before we get out of here, which is position. So we know that the Knicks have... Porzingis and Neil Aquina and Hardaway are kind of the guys that they have presumably locked in mm-hmm. for the future. Those are the three safe. guys. Yeah. So we have our two Bridges stepbrothers. We have Young and Sexton and then a guy like Wendell Carter. So we have the point guard, the small forward, power forward kind of, you know, hybrid in today's NBA and then the center. So when we're looking at this draft, what should be the number one position that the Knicks should target? I I think we kind of talked about it already with with Macal. Mm-hmm. I I think you got to go for the wing um, because, and I think something that is important to consider is we have no idea how the rest of them building this team, this roster, 
is going to go over the next several years. We don't know what players are going to become available via trade. We don't know what players might want to come to them via free agency when they eventually have some cap space and aren't terrible anymore. That sounds um, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's a <laughs> nice dream to think of. So if you think about it from that perspective, I think you want a guy that it's not like it blocks you from making any other subsequent move. So like, you know, if you draft, you know, Colin Sexton or Trey Young um, and them with Nilakina, I mean, I, I love Nilakina's versatility, mm-hmm. but I don't think anybody wants him starting at like the small forward spot. Um, so it's like, there you go. You're, you're done with your guards and either you're, that's it. You've blocked off that, the backcourt, um, or one of them doesn't work out in which case that's not what we want either. Um, you know, even miles to a lesser extent, like, yes, we need someone who's going to be able to play alongside Porzingis when he eventually slides over to the five, which I think is going to happen sooner rather than later as it should. Um, so if you draft miles, I mean, he'll be able to play a little bit of three in the NBA, but mostly you're looking at him, assuming the team gets to the levels that they want to get to, you're looking at him as a four. Mikal Bridges is a guy that like, look, if you want to start him at the two, you want to start him at the three, it's fine. So whoever comes knocking on your door down the line and decides that they want to come here and play, which hopefully will happen. You know they'll be able to slide right in next to next to McCall in the starting line, next to McCall and Frank, because right. that's the nice thing about Frank. I mean, lost in this whole conversation about his like, you know, we said we don't want to use those the terms of like one two, but he's he's a backcourt player, he's a ball handler. McCall Bridges is a wing, he's a true wing. Mm-hmm. So adding that in, adding that versatility, and the other nice thing about it is, if you set up your team for the next, you know five, six, seven years with a, a defensive spinal cord, if you will, of Frank Nilakina, Mikhail Bridges, and Christoph Porzingis, like, you're in business. Like, that's, I'm sorry, that to me, if I was a free agent looking at, you know, somewhere to come that is going to be good over mm-hmm. several years, I want to come to play with that trio. Yeah, you know, that's alluring. Be- like, that's that's an exciting group to see on defense. Totally. As a Knicks um, fan. Yeah, and, and I... I think that's what a lot of Nick fans see, which is why a lot of people like, you know, Macau Bridges. Um, so to me, that's that's the position ideally they go for. Um, you know, we've had this whole conversation, and I'll, I'll kind of say this, you know, to to leave off on. Mm-hmm. We're not in obviously the rooms and and the you know the gyms where these prospects are being evaluated. Ultimately, every Nick fan kind of has to, and this is a little scary trust the front office that they are going to do their homework and they're going to make the right decision for this. That team. is a foreign concept, my friend. It, it kind of is, um, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, and, and then you get into like, you know, Perry's draft record with Orlando and we don't know how much he had to do with some of those picks, but right. you know, we'll see. I, I think if you're a fan though, um, start coming to grips with the fact that, you know, Macau Bridges is, is, is going to be a guy that, they're going to like based on everything Perry has said over the year um, since he's been here about wanting athletes, wanting versatility, wanting guys who play hard all the time. Um, Mikhail Bridges checks every box. I am fully expecting Villanova to make at least the final four, Mikhail Bridges to go off, and then the Bulls take him eighth in the draft. That's the outcome I'm having Ugh. in my brain, and it makes me want to throw up. I. Listen. I hate to bring everyone down, but it's it's I it just it just be so Knicks. Like I've, we've been looking forward to this guy forever, and I do want to say that there are a lot of exciting prospects at this nine spot that we can look forward to and evaluate, and it's it's fun because they have a lot of upside. But yeah, oh man. Well, I think we should all be excited before we even get to the draft. I think we should be excited for the lottery because. They owe us one. The lottery A lot, lot of people are saying the Knicks are going to win. A lot of yeah. people are saying they're 5% chance. I, I, I know, you know, it's like the, the math isn't exactly in our favor. Okay, but, but hold on. Remove the math for a second. Don't you think the basketball gods owe Knicks fans one? You, you give us this great player, 
and he goes down with an ACL injury. After all the things that have happened to this franchise, don't you think it's about time they throw us a bone? Like it's just it feels like the time. And if there was ever if there was ever a year where it was going to happen, it should be this year with you know, and I, I we didn't have like the the Aiton and and Doncic discussion, but like Doncic to me oh is a guy. Uh, it, just the thought of him playing alongside um, Porzingis specifically, like that's you know that's your that's your franchise changer right there. I can um, promise you, I'm going to be crushed when they don't move up because that's what's going to happen. Just because the math is you know severely against them but it's always the lottery is really exciting because it's something you look forward to and then in the blink of an eye it's over or in the blink of an eye it's like the most exciting three minutes of your entire life when they announce that you moved up and then they go to commercial and they go into that top tier oh man there's nothing like it it's it's a great event no you know what's gonna happen it's uh we're gonna uh, move into the top tier and then get the third pick in the draft oh yeah Um, and then you're just like all right who do you take now you got all these guys out here i mean it'd be better than nine (laughs) <laughs> yes, uh, th- theoretically, I think we should have a Knicks wall um, lottery selection uh, party somewhere um, with lots of alcohol around, and I would invite like nothing more. Invite all the listeners, invite all of the readers, come on down, and we will all either um, get really, really drunk together or get really, really drunk together. One of those two things. And think about when you're in a group like that if they ever moved up. Ooh. Oh, that would be... Oh, my uh, God. There would be yeah. nothing like it. I think my liver would be a little bit mad at me. <laughs> All right. With that, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me. And we'll have plenty more coverage of prospects as we come about. Um, do you have anything coming up for com that we should be looking out for? Yeah, I got a couple pieces in the uh, in the hopper. Something coming out um, probably within the next couple days. Just taking a look at um, the front office. Since Perry has come aboard specifically, because they still get a lot of shit from a big segment of the fan base, and um, I took a look at whether that's warranted or not. So that'll be dropping soon, and then um, kind of in line with the conversation that we had, but getting into a little bit more depth on it, um, working on a piece about just how we evaluate prospects uh, moving forward, Um, because I think there is a large segment of the basketball-watching populace out there um, that still kind of has, you know, some of the old ways of thinking when they look at, you know, what can this guy do for my team at the next level? So I took a look at that as well. So uh, a couple different things. Um, if you're uh, listening and not following me already, JC Macri, NBA um, on Twitter. Hit me up. Awesome. Look forward to reading those. Jonathan, thanks again. Absolutely, Matt. I appreciate you having me on. All right. We'll talk to you later. Do well. Where are your center, man?